What's up, everyone? Welcome to the fifth episode of the Fully Pinned Podcast. I just want to shout out Ty. Look, mate, you're an absolute legend. It's been so dope to be able to continue the chats, and I cannot wait to see your career blossom more. Guys, I actually prepared some questions for this one. Yes, I did it. And we touched on some great topics. We, you know, we hit some nostalgia up, you know, we talked, we had a bunch of laughs and, you know, he, we brought up some topics about the future of MTB in Australia. But before we get into it, I just want to shout out a few brands and businesses that I love, use and endorse. Top of that list, of course, is All Mountain Sports. Love those guys. Thank you for supporting me and doing everything that you do for the community. Yeah, we've got to hit up that Purity Plant Protein. Then we got Crush Oz, you know, Crush Cleaning Products. We got Bike Corp, we got Spank Bikes, Flip Love Your Gear, and of course, Leah MTB. But no more of that. Here it is, fifth episode of the Fully Pin Podcast with Ty Bowmaker. Let's go! Right, but it had front suspension and disc brakes and a derailleur, and you're like, yes, I finally got a mountain bike. I'm ready to go up that bloody mountain. This is the best we can do right now. I got the beast. <laughs> The other one Queensland is great. Like, people just need to be more appreciative of what they got. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty. Guys, this is the Fully Pinned Podcast, Episode 5, with the man behind Captivate, Ty Bowmaker. Now, if you've... (laughs) My man, thank you for for coming on. No worries. Cheers for having me. That's okay, bro. It was a bit of a miss to lock it down, but I'm glad we could finally um, make some time to do it, bro. It's going to be awesome. Fully um, pinned, let's go. That's the one, brother. That's the one. I love the hype. I love the hype. Also love the bike in the background. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I had to jazz up this room. This is the home office space. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty dull at the moment. I've honestly been uh, moving about quite a bit recently, had like yeah. a bunch of projects, a bunch of travel, and I've just wound up here in like the last month or so so i haven't even set this this space up properly i like to have art and stuff and like photo prints and whatnot so it's a shame yeah. we don't have more lining the walls but this is the best we can do right now i got the beast <laughs> mate i think sometimes you know creative people love an aesthetically pleasing room but like at the core of it all like considering what you do you know, having the beast back there, that's thats totally dope. Practical sometimes. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I'm done with the call, straight on the bike, out the door. Well, funnily enough, I was on the bike, but like just before the call, probably like an hour before the call, so. I've seen your story. Where was that, Um, like you were flipping like up the top of some gorge or? Yeah, i just been on the road for like a day or two. Um, me and my girlfriend just love to pack up the the van we got a bit of a campus set up and yep. just make the most of this beautiful nation we call australia there's so many places to go and oh, bro. it's like why am i just going to sit around the suburbs all the time if i've got the luxury of time and and whatnot to actually get out there and do it so 100 100 percent. it's like recently I've, I've found a bunch of there's quite a bit of elevation not far from my house and me and a mate just got some literally just sticks in the bush chucked on some runners and we just went for a dig we found some old moto enduro trails but just the scenery that we found out there over this we were only out there for 90 minutes and it's like 
Yeah, I know everyone whinges about southeast Queensland and a lot of Australia, you know, dry, rocky, skatey, you know, for riding on its... Southeast Queensland's all- great. Like, people just need to be more appreciative of what they got. <laughs> <laughs> Oath, bro. It's so true. Like, what you got is what you got. So you can't, like, you can't just be like, hey, I'm um, God, can you just, uh, uh, can you just give us lomas everywhere? Like, it doesn't, <laughs> you know, like, we've got some beautiful, beautiful terrain, but... Almost got to go to another nation for that, hey, for just pure loam trails. Yeah, I know. Or, or Tassie. Um, oh, the days. That would be so good one day. But, man, um, so obviously videographer, photographer, um, Captivate. So this is your – obviously you've got your personal account, but Captivate's your um, creative account. Tell us, a, you know, a bit more about in-depth, you know, what you do, uh do you like videography more than the you know photography or is it just like a big creative effort for you just nowadays consider myself a creative artist really like there's so many facets involved with with running a creative industry that it's not just yeah photography or videography you've got to have some um skills in like graphic design as well as marketing as well as communicating with corporations and business people and stuff like that so um but yeah like a little bit of a rundown for people i'm ty burmaker i'm the founder of captivate and inspirational films Uh, and captivate is an action and adventure focused well, Inspiral is time-lapse and aerial and corporate focused. Um, yeah. So like two clear, distinct, different like companies that I'm like building yeah, cool. up right now. And, and Captivate is more just like a um, like an alter ego, I guess, of, of myself. And, That's sick. And my, my creative pursuits, my, my adventures and whatnot. So I don't like to get too personal on social media. Like I feel like that's... I like having a personal life, you know. I like having a private life. I don't want to showcase everything I'm I'm up to on social media. Um, yeah, I get that. So so to like expand a little bit further, I'm born and raised in Wollongong, which is just the south gong. of Sydney. Yeah, the Gong, the Gong, beautiful place, <laughs> mate. Real beautiful yeah. place. I did, like. I think um, Wollongong gets a pretty bad rep, especially from <laughs> yeah. Sydney sides. Um, Oh, but you mate. know what? I'm quite, I'm quite happy for them to just stay up there and we can have this beautiful little paradise down here. So um, speaking up. of which, like we got um, trails that end a few blocks away from the ocean. So that's pretty special. And like the mountain range that we have here, it kind of like hugs the coastline um, as it progresses south from that's Sydney. So good. Yeah, so it's like a pretty perfect spot to, to grow up um and yep. ride mountain bikes and it's close enough to sydney that you got everything that you could possibly need as well like the vast majority yep. of of my work either takes place um like in sydney or interstate or overseas like i don't really do a whole lot of work here mm-hmm. in Wollongong. so to have like close accessibility with um with an airport and with a major international city is is pretty convenient Perfect, but then yeah. you, got, you got everything else that you possibly need down here in the Gong. It's a beautiful <laughs> spot, mate. Have you visited? You've been to Wollongong? Yeah, look, I've been through, but I can't say since I've been uh, back on a bike, as I, I, man, I'm 36. So when I was when I was in high school, you know, bikes were on pass time. It was every afternoon. But yep. there's so, since I've been passionately and fervently, you know, back into this community, there's so many, like, obviously, 
there's so much of Australia I want to explore, but, you know, there's so many places, including the Gong and, you know, surrounding areas that I'm like, Philippe, I want to go here. I want yeah, to go. Yeah, 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 dude. I know exactly what you mean. That's like a big catalyst for me traveling around yeah. so much is just to go and see like all the amazing trails and wilderness that we have here in yep. Australia because there's no shortage. Like if people think there's a shortage of trails oh, no. in Australia, yeah. they're mistaken. It's more just they're, they're kind of a different caliber or different style to what might be found overseas. So people might think, yeah. oh, we don't have trails here in Australia. It's like, no, we do. They're just, they're not like machine built jump trails like Dirt Merchant or A-Line and Whistler. They've still got plenty yeah. of trails though, that's for sure. I've, I very much prefer, like, I, I will say that I've built a few things on nothing like crazy, but like, you know, punched out a few. And I think anyone that's like really ridden a bike or, you know, really gotten into mountain bikers, slapped some dirt or scraped something out in a forest, like, I much prefer booting through some raw, like raw forest, like something that's hand cut. Like there's a trail up here um, on the Sunshine Coast. In, and it's not like a map, it's probably only about maybe four or five lines from the top of the hill in Mapleton, but that's all hand cut, like downhill. And right, I've been to Mapleton. I didn't, I didn't do any riding while I was there, but beautiful yeah. part of the world. Hey, like Mullaney yeah. on the other side of oh. that dam and whatnot. So beautiful, mate. So, so beautiful. And like you just think about, like, that's one speck in what Australia is. Like, yeah. one little speck. Like, I went out to, a wedding in Mullaney just recently and like the wedding is beautiful it's one of my like, good friends I stood there on the hill looking into the valley and all I could just see was like oh imagine sipping through here and like and just the grass and the greenery and then you know you've got the Aussie outback you've got places like the gone you've got like you know central coast in you know you've got rainforest, rainforest. North Queensland got everything here in Oz mate yeah oh 100% 100% um so you mentioned before, like you you traveling a lot. Um, did you just come back from doing something for the UCI recently? Like you saw something for Sam? Oh yeah, okay. So that's um, two, is that under wraps two, or? Yeah, that no, that's 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 out in the open. So um, how do I start with that story? This one's off the cuff. Well, I haven't even prepared a response for this one. So sorry, sorry. That it's uh, just no, no. It's it's all good, man. Um. Just give me a moment to think. Yeah. So, as I said, I'm from here in Wollongong, um, and probably the most prominent mountain biker we have here in the area is Josh Carlson. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Josh Carlson. For anybody who isn't, he is a, well, essentially a TV host for the UCI and Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, I know who he is. he, he, He travels the world racing mountain bikes and, conducting uh interviews and whatnot so this was um part of like a pre-season marketing effort for warner brothers discovery at um the cannonball festival like josh carlson kind of connected the dots there um so shout out to josh what an absolute legend like such a such a good bloke um and it's not like i've never filmed mountain bike race not like i've never had an opportunity to conduct interviews with sam hill either um, but there was definitely something about this project that um, put a lot of weight on my shoulders because essentially they're um, for context, actually, this will be real interesting for people because I don't know if this is something that's like public knowledge or whatever, but I can discuss it now for sure. Um, yeah. 
Warner Brothers Discovery, they were essentially in a position where they didn't have access to any footage of World Cup downhill because for the last like decade or so, wow. uh, it, it had been owned and run and managed, et cetera, by Red Bull. And yeah. Red Bull yeah, didn't you. want to forfeit the rights to that footage. So oh Carlso was already in contact with um, with Warner Brothers and was like, so hey, this could be... scratch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, other than maybe some photos or something like that that's <laughs> like some some photographers were able to license. They didn't have any footage like from racing or anything from previous seasons that they were allowed to use. Maybe they did end up licensing some, but my understanding was that sending wow. people like myself and people like um I can't even remember who was doing it in the UK. It's not Tommy C, somebody else. Um, but basically, they needed to come together with a um, like a big Team library of, people, of footage yeah. to start promoting the the races leading into the season. And that was why they got me on board to go down to Cannonball because they knew that there was going to be all these international mountain bikers that were going to be there that were competing, um, and there was nothing else on the international race circuit at that time of year you know because europe is still under snow so yeah 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 so they've got yeah, they can't got, shoot anything there pretty much there's no racing oh. or anything really going on there so it's like you've got greg yeah. minar who wasn't who wasn't racing unfortunately but yep. then yeah jackson goldstone yep. um laurie greenland sam hill um benoit collange who's from yep. france who's like top yep. 10 downhill racer yeah yeah he's um, always in the mix Sam, yeah Camille Belange, who's um, a World top champ. female racer yeah. as well. Exactly. So um, that was a prime opportunity for them. And that's why there was a lot of pressure on my shoulders in order to deliver for that event. Um, they didn't necessarily have the budget to pay for a larger crew of, of operators, camera operators. Um, yeah. They were sending me and just me down there <laughs> to capture it all. Um, and um, I'd like to think that the footage that was I down there wasn't she was, didn't Cammy yeah, oh, yeah 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 or, or yeah there was, yeah yeah that's right mate, there was a there was a heap of professional races I'm just basically just providing the context there and saying yeah. that that's how that shoot with Sam Hill was organized at, at Cannonball yeah like coming coming from like um I've worked in a marketing department for the business I mentioned earlier and um considering what they go through to get out content like say if something trends like that and what they've got to do to turn it around or just the backlogs of content like i've seen all the files i know all the photographers and videographers that work for that business yep. to, to <laughs> that's why i was like jaw drop because first for let's warner brothers discovery like that that's not that's not that's not a joke the uci it's no joke it's a main sanctioning body for you know for you know for cycling so it's it's nuts to be like Oh, here's the reins, guys. But obviously, they don't want to release that footage, so they're like, "Oh, you know, twiddling fingers. Like, what are we gonna do?" That's so nuts that they've pretty much got zero. Like, they had, yeah. or they had zero I, to begin it, with. It blew my mind as well, really. Like when I found out about it, like, um, yeah, blew my mind. But honestly, um, when you've got a company that scale, they're willing to pay decent money as well. So that's why. You've not only got the pressure of having to deliver all of this footage and there's only a finite amount of opportunity, one race run or whatever, 
But then mm-hmm. there's a financial expectation that's attached to that contract that you're initiating with them. So, um, but when all was said and done, like I delivered what was necessary. Like one may even argue that based off the metrics and the performance of that footage globally, that I exceeded their expectations. So I'm yeah. pretty, pretty happy with that, mate. Like I can't, <laughs> can't complain. And I get to work with some of my idols as well, which just blows my mind so you know if you wild. told me when i was 15 years old that i was going to be paid thousands of dollars to go and film sam hill or greg bernard know how to respond to be honest they're, they're pretty surprised do you i mean i obviously know your instagram like, i've got a couple other questions but this is just sparks i'm obviously your instagram's pretty well established how do you think had how you've been shooting mountain biking stuff for a while how did they um come like obviously you had captivate like the the self-recorded film that you know won its awards how was how did the uco was it just because of josh that like you guys linked up had they contacted you earlier or how how was the connection made that you got you know you know awarded awarded the gig honestly i just got to thank josh for connecting the dots there but if I wanted to expand upon that and maybe give the audience a bit of like value or um, yep. some insight is that it's one thing to be able to like to bridge these gaps or like link the dots yep. with these prospective connections or clientele, but it's another thing to actually have the body of work and the expertise and the knowledge that you yeah. can provide to them and say, this is what I'm capable of. This is what I've done in the past. And this is what I can provide you with on this occasion. It's going to cost X amount of dollars. And this is what's included. This is what you're going to receive. These are the assets that you're going to receive and be willing to have some kind of mutual dialogue as well, because you can't be entirely concrete. Like if I went to Warner Brothers Discovery and I said, these are my exact rates for this day. And this is what I can provide you with. Chances are they're probably going to say, oh, can we maybe get a little bit more than that? Because it just, for some reason in this industry that I work within, it's always a case of like, can we get a little bit more than that? It's hardly ever like, yeah, yeah we're happy with that. That's, that's, that's a, that's a fair yeah. price. We'll work with that. So usually you've got to do a little bit of back and forth as well. And I guess what I'm saying is yeah. that you need a culmination of all of those skills and foundations in place yep. to even secure that contract with Warner Brothers yeah. Discovery. Like it's one thing for Josh Carlson to just be like, yeah, local filmmaker, he's real good at what he does. You should just trust that he's real good. Um, but yeah. that's not good enough when you're working with a multinational corporation. Package. Exactly. The package, yeah. 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 It's so, it's, man, that is, oh, that is just so, like, it's so nuts to think that, you know, they've started on the back end. But, like, obviously, it sounds like, Josh, even though you've got that mutual connection, he's just like, nah, I, I know the guy that's got the package that can provide what we need on the deadline, got the rates, got the... Yeah, it was no... It was no, no you were ready. End. Yeah, exactly. You were ready, 100%. Man, when you, what was the first... Um, like, what got you into mountain biking? What was the first well, What was the first sled? How old were you when, when this happened? What got me into MTB? Was that the question? Yeah, like, what was your... Um, you know, obviously, you know, you are where you are, you know, you're doing what you're doing. You can shred on a bike, you know, you tra- you travel in the world doing what you do. But like, what was like, what's your story into mountain biking? Like, what was the first bike? 
Um, I guess to provide context, like I was fortunate enough, like privileged enough when I was young to be able to go and ride dirt bikes, um, yeah, motorbikes, um, yeah. and mostly like single trail and enduro style stuff, not too much motocross. And that yeah. kind of gave me the confidence to just be out in the bush, out in nature and not be scared of like snakes or spiders or being like, <laughs> yeah. like real far away from home or being away from yeah, my parents gotcha. or anything like that. So being able yeah. to build that independence was, um, was amazing as, as a kid. And then it got to a point where my parents were just over the whole logistical nightmare of going and riding a dirt bike, like having to pack up a trailer and whatnot. Oh, bro. And yeah. Mission. A oh, huge mission, way bigger mission than going mountain biking, that's for sure. And that's kind of what got me into mountain biking was that, like, I live right next to a mountain range that's about 400 metres towering above the ocean. I mean, you've got that type of terrain there. You wonder, oh, like, what's what's up there? Are there good trails up there? And I remember, like, reading magazines about mountain biking stuff when I was a kid and thinking, oh, this looks pretty cool. I was always into dirt jumping and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and then I got a mountain bike. I remember my dad, absolute bloody legend. My dad, um, like my dad's not like terribly well off. So f- and for him to be able to pay off a, a mountain bike on layby um, was incredible. Big like I'll never, yeah, yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget. Like my dad doing that for me, you know. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty special. Um, so I was about twelve years old, and he he bought me a giant rink on a hardtail. Like had yep. very basic components, like nothing special in terms of being a mountain bike, but it had front suspension and disc brakes and a derailleur. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yes, I finally got a mountain <laughs> yeah. bike. I'm ready to go up that bloody mountain. <laughs> My mates and I ultimately we would film each other all the time because we wanted to replicate our heroes. So we'd like Yeah, so we'd like <laughs> We would um we would watch films like Nitro Circus, like the early Nitro <laughs> Circus films that would come on DVD, right. like before streaming platforms existed or YouTube existed or oh anything. Oh my and, gosh! And, yes. and New World Disorder, um, the collective. Oh, NWO was the jam. And um and lots of Clay Porter films as well, and like just downhill race documentaries and stuff. So I guess like watching films like that and just watching just people like Sam Hill just go as fast as they possibly can and be like, they're lunatics. Let's, let's go do that. Let's go. I want to be, I want to be Sam Hill. Like, I want to be that guy that's going as like yeah. fast as possible down the hill. And I want to film it as well. Um, so yeah, that was like a big inspiration for me and my mates getting into it. Hey, that's so sick. It's, now I'm finding like a lot of like relative things is as we're having this conversation, like I'm, I'm getting these answers back. It's kind of making me think back to what I did on a kid as a skateboard as a teen, what I did yeah, on a bike. And, like, hey. and yeah, and you get, you. <laughs> oh, oh, damn. I did that because I watched, I tried to send myself, myself down a set of like 12 or 13 stairs because Jamie Thomas did the leap of faith. In yeah, 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 like, exactly. And then I, Oh, what year is this? 2004, 2004, 2005, maybe 03. Drop in. I was a series on. Um, oh, the TV series. The TV series. Yeah, so there was like. On Fuel Kinraid. TV. Yes, Mike Kinraid, yeah. Derek Cloth. Um, 
Brett Tippy had a showing in there, like oh, like the OG freeriders. So my introduction to mountain biking, and I had already been, man, you as a kid when I was a kid, like you got on a bike, like you didn't just ride the footpath, you like you jump, you jump stuff, you, you know, hurl down hills, like on these crappy little like twenty fucking off retaining walls and just do it like snapping yeah. things like. And then when I saw this, you know, big Marzocchi, ridiculous force, 640 bars, like these gigantic, like Oakley shirts, you know, and I just saw these dudes just like, oh, yeah, that looks sick. And they're just jumping or something. It's like 40 foot, you know, high. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so that was like my proper intro into mountain biking. Yeah, yeah. It's saying you're talking about these throwback films. I was like, oh. You know, it makes you it makes you remember why we love this sport, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it actually also gives you a realization it's like, oh, this is actually pretty crazy, like riding a bike like this or trying to at least even trying to is like really nuts. Like it just shows you how skilled really that these top, top guys really are. Yeah. Professionals for a reason, mate. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> Um, do you have a favorite, like a favorite rider that you like to work with or someone that has been or like a, a, you know, a team or anything like that? That's been like, oh, that was a highlight of my um, creative career so far. Too many to list, really. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, or maybe like even a I favorite, get, a favorite project. Yeah, I got, one recently. I got some, I got some notes. So, yeah. Um, I've had the chance to shoot with a lot of my childhood heroes. Yeah. And those shoots have always meant the most to me, just for yeah, obvious I, reasons, like talking about yeah. the nostalgia factor and whatnot. Um, people like Sam Hill and Greg Minar, who have had careers spanning the best part of two decades, which is mind blowing in itself, and still to this day are well respected athletes. Like it's it's isn't wild. that just insane, man? Like the like they have been riding mountain bikes for longer than I have, for longer than a lot of people have, and they're still Competing. arguably some some of the best athletes in the sport. So <laughs> that's um, shout outs to those fellas, Sam and Greg. You boys are absolute legends. And it would, if honestly, if it weren't for those two, along with people like Steve, Pete, and Nathan Rennie. Um, Fabian Burrell, Cedric Gracia, like yep, I, wouldn't, yep. I wouldn't be riding a mountain bike, that's for sure. And I've had the opportunity to basically meet all of them, come to think of it. So that's that's, that's pretty incredible. Mind-boggling. Otherwise, <laughs> um, Bernard Kerr and the Pivot Factory team have always been Oof. like a lot of fun to work with. Like I've done Oof. two two projects with them um, yep. throughout the years and. The thing with Bernard, like, he knows exactly what he wants out of a shoot, um, and that includes creative direction. So it makes my job as a DOP, like a director of photography, the person wielding the camera and capturing the footage, pretty straightforward oh, because how good. Bernard, Bernard will just be like to me, I'm going to ride the track exactly like this. I'm going to hit this corner exactly here. There's going to be a cloud of roost. You need to make sure that you pan through and get that moment and then we're going to swap to another camera angle that's about 10 meters down the track so that you can get it from a head-on angle instead of a behind angle which the previous shot was and like i guess what i'm saying working with somebody like that that has that much creative um insight 
um, is is easy. Like it's really easy, and I think yeah. a lot of people, especially in in action sports, like they're very um, sanctimonious. Might be the right word. They're very <laughs> they're very, they're very protective about yeah. um, their creative process and stuff like that. So they might think that working with somebody like Bernard Kerr, who knows exactly what he wants, is a bad thing because they're like, well, then I don't have any creative freedom. Like he's telling me exactly what I need to do. And I'm not going to lie. Sorry, Bernard, to be transparent. At first, I did kind of feel the same way. I thought to myself, what is this guy doing? Like he doesn't, he's not the one filming. Sure, he's an incredibly talented bike rider and manages a race team and all that. You can't take away any of his his yeah, his, uh, achievements. That's it. his positive yeah. attributes or achievements, but he's not a he's not a cinematographer. But the funny thing is, mate, the amount of video projects that Bernard Kerr and people like, uh, let's say, Brendan Faircloth or David yep. McMillan or Sam Hill, the yep. amount of video projects those blokes have worked on, the amount of knowledge they have that's involved with a process like that isn't such a bad thing. Like they, they know what looks good. They know what their fan base wants to see. So to be able yeah, to work I, with people like that is just like, it's easy. Like it, it, it removes an emotional attachment that I have with that project and just allows me to work and get the job and done. run the gig. Yeah. It's crazy that you say that. Cause like, obviously, you know, these athletes, Oh, that's a mad lad. These athletes, they're incredibly talented people, but sometimes I think, you know, you look at this world of riding bicycles, you know, from, from a not a fan perspective, and they're like, oh, they're just guys riding bikes. Like, they don't – like, people would, I reckon, sometimes understand, like, they'd look at a pro downhill race and be like, oh, it's just a guy fanging down a hill without knowing how intelligent, how much knowledge, how much skill actually goes – into doing so it doesn't surprise me that you can say like you know i actually i can't remember what i was watching maybe like a few days ago but some i read a comment on youtube somewhere bernard runs a race team with what how many like however many riders it is oh, he's got i think big, it's like five five other riders or yeah something five like other that. riders two two or three enduro races and two yep. or three downhill races so bk sports you know, like obviously that's going to be, I, I wouldn't know YouTube channel. that's going to be Berman, YouTube channel, which is, you know, as you said, he runs races. the team. He owns, he basically owns the team. No, like, maybe not entirely in terms of like all the capital that's been invested and stuff like that, but he's the manager of the team. Like he's making a lot of decisions involved with running that team. And for them to be so successful as a team and for him to actually be yep. racing as well and competing yep. in like the top, 10 downhill riders in the world like mate tip my hat to you yeah. Bernard. like yeah. fucking hell 100%. mate keep up the good work <laughs> it's wild cheers. I did, yeah cheers because I, I i i will say I'm, I'm a i'm a big bk fan i love how he you know presents himself you know i love his image like i'm, I'm a fan of you know leah again i i found him through a leah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 like um and when I, you know, delved more into the, you know, the athlete and like learned more about who he was, I was like, I was like, damn, like you got to work on, you know, as, as a professional racer, 
you've got training, you've got, you know, physical responsibilities, you've got responsibilities to all those sponsors, you've got all that stuff. That pressure alone, as we know, is is wild. And then he runs the team, does all that stuff. So shout out, shout out BK for being a Do you have a, a place that you've been to that you've been like, that is just like etched into your memory, like burned into your memory in regards to your work? Dude, that's like, that's kind of the same as that last question. Like, how yeah. do I narrow it down to like a favorite writer that I've had the opportunity to work with? Yeah, um, true that. Man, I got to say. Um, well, mate, for, let's make it like top top three. No, I don't even yeah. need to do top three, man, because I've got an answer for you here. And obviously I'm that's ready. so hard to, to answer for anybody because like if you've had – if you've been privileged enough to go to like Whistler Bike Park in Queenstown and then go ride throughout the UK and go ride in places in Europe and go ride all throughout Australia and to Tasmania and like the list goes on, how do you narrow it down when there's so many different experiences? Like all those experiences yeah. just been beneficial and great really. But like, honestly, if I had to, if I really had to narrow it down to one, it's got to be the Port du Soleil area um and that's in uh the french swiss border um so you've got places like champery and leger um where they're going to have the the big like week-long mountain bike festival for the uci later this year um and they've had world cups like the last couple of years in leger and then just over in the next valley you've got morzine which is like home to some oh. of the best downhill riding in the whole world and you go over into the next valley and you're in um, – dude, how is this slipping my mind? It's like one of my fa- – ah, uh, Chattel, of course. You're in Chattel, so it's like you've got about seven resort areas, seven lift-accessible resort areas that you can go ride yeah. under a single lift pass. And any style of riding that you can imagine is uh, is available. Possible. Whether you want to ride enduro yeah. style, you want to ride like more cross country, just chilled out like gravel riding or something like that. Um, you want to go do some epic hike bike mission. Like I've done some missions where you've pretty much got your bike on your back, on your back. Like, yep. like that thing on my back, holding it with one hand and another hand on a cable as I'm like pulling myself up this ridge to get on top of this mountain so you can ride back down into the, the little village on like a goat track. So like basically mate, that area it has everything. Like people yeah. say the best place to go ride the mountain bike is like Whistler or Queenstown. I disagree. Or, like yeah. I, I personally think it's Port de Soleil in, in France. Like as long as it, there's not even a language barrier there, there's so many Brits and stuff that it's just like, you can just get away with speaking English, which is just crazy. Like you're in France and it looks so like, so French mate. Like it's, it's, it's like you're on another planet compared to Australia. Yeah. It's, just, it's like, it's not even a difficult experience. Like, yeah. So anybody that's even considering going to that part of the world, then yeah. Morsi, Leger, yeah. Chattel, Champery. Like if you like gravity riding, just go do it. If you like road cycling, they they have the Tour de France there. It's like how can you? Get yeah, I was going to say that's. A, I'm pretty sure that's the same region as um, the Tour de France. Yeah, <laughs> and you can see my bike at the top of the mountains. It's like, well, like, it's. I met sorry. my girlfriend there as well, so it's like. Oh no way! Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah it's and like she, that place. Has, has a very, like, special place in my heart for multiple reasons. And I'm sure a lot of people that visit that place kind of feel the same. 
Like it's a very, very special part of the world. Um, it's funny, like you mentioned about like how memorable that type of scenery is. Cause I was looking, Dean Lucas put out that Toadine episode, um, with, oh my gosh, Ed Masters yesterday, just talking about, they did like a interview recap type thing of the first round. Oh, did, did Eddie film that or was that on Dean's? It's on Dean's, it's on Dean's channel. Yeah, right. I love uh, Dean's a good bloke, man. Dean is. Yeah. I I think Dean cops a lot of shit from people. Like, I think a lot of people look at him and they're like, "This guy's a fucking phony." Like, why is he like? Why does he act this way? Why is he being so transparent? Why is he being so nice? It's like Dean's a fucking good bloke. Like Dean's just how he is. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's actually real cool that like not just him but a bunch of other people have got like videographers basically on board full time working with them because to me that's way more interesting than just watching a highlights reel that the UCI is the least of a race run. So I think I think that's why, you know, Moy Moy's stuff obviously is jacked up, you know, so quickly. Like he's an absolute legend. Like you can't oh, other you know, legends. You can't you can't you can't not, you know, knock the guy, but like bringing Stagsy on to do like do this year is just like so sick and I honest, I really like I really, really like high quality content. I like looking at you know, when I say high quality, I was like I love watching stuff in, you know, cinema you know, cinematic quality. So when Dean, you know, he's got the videographer rolling rolling with him through and presenting it from his perspective and you know, creatively like those guys are on the same page and then you throw the mountain biking in there. For me, I'm not just taking in mountain biking content. I'm enjoying a form of art that I really like to watch. And it seems that quite a few guys um, are moving in that direction as well. You know, like there's other mountain bikers that are bringing people along to in Loic, I actually even noticed, I didn't even, oh, of course, Loic Bruni has a YouTube channel, but he's even doing a little bit of that now. He's just got a guy rolling around with him, you know, filming parts of his season and his day, like, at each of the rounds. Yeah, I see, honestly, the only problem I see with that is that it becomes kind of like a like a saturated format yeah. of video. Yeah. So then you've really got to start... Let me give you an actual tangible example because I don't think anybody in downhill has really got to this point yet in terms of doing vlogging and stuff like that. But the best example I can give you is Sam Pilgrim. Like Sam Pilgrim's up to the oh. stage where like he will find any retarded – sorry, I shouldn't use that. It's not a political I'll cut, I'll cut term, You know what I mean? It's just like he will get any ridiculous idea for a bicycle and try and send it off some jump that's like 20 foot – and it's like you're just getting to the point where you can't think of really anything to do and you have this, like, expectation from a, from a fan base or whatever. And I'm not trying to throw yeah. shade at Sam Pilgrim or anybody else. I just feel like that's kind of where their head is at. Like, they get to a point where they're like, shit, like, if I hit a ceiling, like, what's next? Like, what can I do next that's, yeah. that's going to lure people in to watch this? And that's where I see this kind of downhill vlogging format stuff going. Because uh, I just, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not a hardcore enough fan of downhill racing to the point that I want to know what yeah. Dean Lucas had on his toast every race weekend. Like I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I totally get it. I totally and get once it. again, I'm not throwing shade at Dean or anybody else. That's just, that's my thought process regarding that type of format. Yeah, I get it. 
I get it. No, I, to- I totally understand. I I don't know if it'll move like completely in that area because I think you have to – I reckon some people – obviously, no, we're all sharing our own opinions here. I reckon some races will look at what these guys are doing and be like, oh, sick, you know, maybe I can get the YouTube going and bring a guy along to film. When you look at someone like Dean who's – an artistically creative guy and obviously he's moving in that direction because he has a passion for it and yep. i think you'll see other stuff where they're trying to do the same thing but it's not going to have that it's not going to have that vibe like the good stuff will separate Probably it just because it's it, they they're producing yeah. it more of like uh more because they feel as though they have an obligation to do so as opposed to a creative pursuit yeah, because as you exactly. said, like somebody like Dean, like I've spent time with Dean, I've known him for a while, and yep. like he is a creative bloke. Like I think that's also why he might cop a bit of flack from people is they think like why does why does this why does this bloke have neon blue hair? Like what's up with that? Like who's he trying to <laughs> yeah. who's he trying to impress? And it's like that's just Dean. Like, he's just like... a he's a colorful creative bloke. Like, just yeah. leave him be. He doesn't mean any harm. And he just wants to do cool shit. Like, I didn't see a problem with that, you know? Not at all. I mean, I'm, I've chatted to him, like, a little bit since he moved to the Gold Coast. I and so, Dean, Dean, mate, I'm not trying to make this conversation about you either or blow smoke up your ass <laughs> or whatever. It's just, like, that you, you've become a good example for what we're talking about here. That's all, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Definitely. <laughs> and I can I – can, no, I can attest that personally because when he um, – started releasing some of this stuff you know obviously he's been vocal about what he's gone through in regards to his passions towards the bike and he started releasing like his edits and that i said i actually took a lot from the first one i found it quite inspiring to see someone uh transparent about you know from a professional perspective about what they're dealing with i was like i messaged him and obviously you know he would get a million messages a day as does any one of those guys and he's just like, hey, man, thanks. Like, he replied and said, you know, I, I, it's something I've been wanting to do for a while. Like, he didn't just be like, thanks, bro. Like, he could just so easily say, thanks, bro. And I said, hey, man, I found it really inspiring. I sent my little message, and we've chatted a little bit here and there ever since. And he's always – he's got time for people, bro. Like, it's sick. It's it's a cool thing to see, and it makes me want to support the content more, you know? It's an important quality of um, like running a self-managed business, I suppose. Like kind of why I'm like receptive to hopping on this call right now. Like I feel like it's important yeah. to give people time of day in particular circumstances. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate yeah, we that, went, bro. We, we, we went pretty in depth on that one, man. Yeah, I know. Well, I that think um, that's all good but, though. I don't mind at all. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, I, I, funny thought, like, right when you were, like, talking about where, what you think this creative pursuit is going to become in regards to people vlogging, I just had the epiphany that you look and sound like one of, like, my mates from church, like, just minus the beard, and he's, a, like, he's a bike rider and stuff. Like, he's a tradie in that. But, like, as you were talking... Oh, bro, I was wigging out. Yeah, Dorothy. Send dude. that through... Send that through. Meant to be going to Derby next weekend. That's pretty exciting. Oh, mate, you're going to have a good time. I hope so. It's for gravel cycling. I've never even, I don't even really know how a gravel cycling race works. Like, don't go telling Lusty Industries that, but 
Uh, <laughs> it's so but funny. We'll how... out. It can't be that hard, can it? As long as I got it, a way to get around. It's so funny how like each discipline of um, bicycles like throw shade, throws shade. Like there's always that quirk, you know, like or oh, e-bikes suck, or like oh r- no, road cyclists are just. Guys that drink black coffee. Oh, I've definitely, I've definitely been that guy that's just like, oh, we oh, all have fucking, fucking e-bikes. But then <laughs> I take a moment to think about it, and I'm like, they're out on a bike. Like, I, how do I know that that person doesn't have like some acute medical condition that, yep, like if they didn't hop on an e-bike, they'd have no way of getting out there in the bush. So sometimes it just yeah, takes right. that little bit of maturity, that that moment to just be like, no, nah, you know what? Fuck it, let them ride their e-bike. Even if they're smoking me up the hill on my regular pedal power. Oh, bro, when I'm at when I'm at Narang, when I'm at Narang, and like obviously it's one of the premier places for people to, Narang, you know, see e-bikes. It's pretty, it's pretty rocky at Narang, isn't it? Yeah, very rocky. Yeah. Um, but you see, you'll be pedaling up the hill, and like you just see people zoom past, and you're like, that's when you want to make bad jokes because you're like suffering while you get to the top. And these guys are just chuffing past you at whatever speed they're doing. Oh, well, we end up being fitter, don't we? You don't have an e-bike? Nah, bro. Um, I don't no, have neither do I. Hey. Neither I don't do have I. an e-bike at the moment. I'm in between. So, oh, yeah. Okay. You said your frame snapped or something. What were you riding? Yeah. I was on it. What were you riding? Siskiyou T7. Oh, yeah. Polygon. Yeah. Um, it's funny, though. I... I'm pretty sure I made the commercial for that, like, 2020. <laughs> That's hilarious. I did, yeah. T- T7, T8, I'm pretty sure. Siskiyou T7, T8. I'm going to have a look right now. So I make sure I'm not giving you bullshit on that one. That is Go so to funny. My website. Yeah, because, dude, it was, like, mid-COVID and the bike market was just going insane Insane, to the point these bikes were like sold out before we'd even like we didn't even need to make a launch video or anything and these bikes would have sold for sure let me have a look yep sis qt that's so funny which is is yours um is yours blue and yellow no mine was the green mine was a 2022 i think or yeah the green the green and yellow one i must um, or maybe this is maybe you th- maybe what I think is blue is your green. There's definitely yellow on there, like yellow up towards the ridge, um, yeah. ridge triangle yeah. and seat posts and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and it's got like insane. a fade into like a teal. It's kind of yeah, like yeah, 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 without yeah, yeah. showing off my. Yeah. It's kind of like that's, that's funny. A teal that's color. actually kind of funny that I made the commercial for that one commercial for the bike that i said well, it's not even that funny it's just like it just goes to show that like i'm i as much as i can talk the talk i've actually walked the walk as well like yeah you're not talking to some bloody chump yeah bro you got to back yourself and i've always said this like i have had i'm a big personality bro and like when i was in sales um i was very successful with what i was doing because i became very comfortable and have always been very comfortable around talking with people and I've used that skill to help me move into different areas of my life and succeed at different things. And, you know, I've openly expressed my opinion around like my talents and explained to people where the basis of that comes from. 
And it's like, you know, you've got a body of work, you've got skills, you've got the package. So when the UCI calls out, boom, I'm ready, like, let's go. And when people require that of me, you know, if someone wants me to, you know, can you come speak on this? Can you like, can you help me write this up? Uh, I'm looking at doing some work with people um, in running their social media accounts because a lot of people just don't know how, how to speak on social media in regards to what captions they write about the business, this, that. When I've told people what I, you know, he's like, well, why do you think this way? And I'm like, well, this is why. And it's the same with you, man. Like, you're not, you're not a chump. Like, you know exactly, exactly what you're doing. You've got the skills to pay the bills, so to speak. And, you know, and I think that's why you'll continue to be, you know, successful at what you're doing, man. Thank you, mate. But I just want to say that um, there's going to be moments in life where all of us will feel like chumps. Oh, 100% there of, will be. It's just part of learning, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, bro. I'm I'm kind of going through that phase now, like, especially being a parent, like, you know, I was having a cracker morning. This is so funny. I was having a cracker morning with my kid. And right when we tied up at the BMX track, oh, it's so, one of the, when you become a parent, bro, just when they're super, super young, just continually remind yourself that they're processing, you know, central processing unit doesn't develop and work. <laughs> and like this kid, I was like, one more lap, Judah, because like we got to go because I want to get back and get ready for this. I actually wanted to take him to a, a bike store to get him some new, um, get him some new gloves. But there was there was accidents and uh, uh, roadworks going both ways. So I was like, oh, I, I just better head home. And when I told him we had to go. He rode down this little hill and went back to the car, but then he kept going up the hill and dropped back into the track. And, <laughs> and bro, this is two, there's two blokes on assistive, you know, assistive bikes, like the, you know, paraplegics. And I, here's me stand. I'll be completely transparent with you. I was like, Judah, how many times have I told you? Like, and there's me. I was, and in that moment, I had that chump moment and my life's and my head's like, he's five, bro. And he's learning just like you're learning to control your emotions being a parent. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just so funny how life, you know, dep- there's, it doesn't matter like what stage of life you're in, you'll have those ethereal moments where you're like, like you just get your ass kicked by it, you know? So true. Feeling like a chump on the daily when you're a parent. <laughs> Oh, bro. Well, I will say, though, not to scare you from having kids. Obviously, I know you, you mentioned earlier, but um, it's so beautiful, bro. It is the most testing thing, but it's the the good far outweighs the frustration you go through parenting young ones. Yeah, the um, I'm just waiting for the right time, mate. That time That's will it, come bro. eventually. Oh, 100%, bro. You're, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 28. I'm, t- oh, I'm actually 28 tomorrow. It's my birthday tomorrow, mate. Pretty oh, bro, there we go. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank That's you, mate. All good. Um, just, just another day living the dream tomorrow, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, mate, I, 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 I dare say you've got it up pretty good doing what you're doing, bro. Like, Thank you. A, Thank you. It's a bit of a dream life. Um, I do have aspirations to move in that direction creatively, like, there is stuff that I want to do that I haven't really shared with anyone goals that I've written for myself that I think would be the best use of my personality. So when I found your page and we started chatting a little bit, I was just like, damn, it excites me because it just shows that, you know, if you put your foot down, 
and you take the time to learn and build relationships and skills that you can really actually do anything that you want. Pretty much, yeah. Just priorities and sacrifice, I guess. A little yeah. bit harder when you got um when you got kids and a family. Bro, I edit. This <laughs> is like I, I go to bed at seven to eight. I get up at three. I have a coffee and read my Bible, and then I edit. Like, and that's my process every morning. And then on the days that I don't edit, I'm in the gym. So, yeah, bro, it's um, use the time. Uh, you still there? Still got your audio? Yeah, I'm. I'm still here, mate. Can you hear me? Well, hang on. I've lost you. I actually heard a woman's voice just then, and I don't know why. Oh, yeah. I'm not too sure about that, mate, but unless there's I've somebody got you, home. I've got, home you back. But... I've, I've got you now. I've got you back now. Is there anywhere you, like, have you got, like, a, you know, is there a place you'd like to go and work, a place in the world that you haven't been yet that you'd love to visit? 100%, mate. If I, honestly, if I could, I'd just continue to travel the world infinitely. I'm sure a lot of people would agree with yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hey, um, hey, just uh, I just need to hire you for like the next uh, uh, three years. Can you just go to least, every event? At least three at years. Least. It could be the next. It could be the next decade. That'd be pretty content with that. Um, I long story short, mate. Yeah. Well, way way more difficult when you got a family. But I'm pretty lucky yeah. in that regard. You know, I don't have a whole lot of time me down. So like. I'm yep. pretty fortunate. Say, for example, I got a gig in um, – I was telling you, I, I got a gig in um, Derby in Tasmania next weekend, and if I had kids or if I had a mortgage or something to pay off, it would be a lot more difficult for me to just make that spur-of-the-moment decision and say, hey, um, yeah, I'm free to go down there and work on that project. So I'm pretty lucky in that yep. regard. Um, but in terms of somewhere I'd like to go and work – like man, sky's the limit, you know. If you're if you're asking me dream destinations, straight up gonna go to the international space station. Like if somebody can put me on a rocket <laughs> to get up there, yeah. like why not? not? Expecting that. <laughs> it's like, dude, I want to go to space. I know logistically, it's pretty unlikely that I will ever get to space <laughs> in my lifetime. I've accepted that. But hey, if somebody's gonna pay me. To work, get up there, go work on a feature film or something. I would do it 100%. Um, I'm willing to willing to um, do whatever training is required. But then if we want to focus a little bit more here on planet Earth, um, something I've been thinking about for like basically my entire career um, is to travel Australia and make a feature-length film about mountain biking here in Australia, which has oh, right. been... It has been done uh, probably like close to a decade or so since anybody's like done anything on that scale. Um, and when I say feature length film, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like full runtime of like an hour and a half or an hour or something like that. For me, it's more, I don't really want to speak about it too much because like I have intellectual property I need to retain, but um, yeah. I feel like there's so much potential for mountain biking oh, and we right. can get yeah. we can get to that in a in a bit more of an in-depth discussion in this call, but like there's so much potential for mountain biking here in Australia and for filming mountain biking and for athletes. If we have some of the best mountain bikers of all time coming out of Australia yep. and I yep. don't really know if too many people have done that justice in terms of um, encapsulating all of that in a film so yeah. that's 
Definitely a career goal in the oh bro, you've in, got the vision in, in in the near future, like the near to mid future. That's probably something I'm going to be working on. Um, but that's like I've already travelled so much of Australia, so that's like yeah, I'd like to do that. But then if we want to look at other places, um, I'd love to go to the Himalayas like the largest mountain range in the world, like what more needs to be said really. And when you're going to somewhere like that, like the culture shock's got to be pretty intense as well. I imagine like you are bordering India, China, Tibet, um, Pakistan. So it's like you're going to get some crazy experiences like some ethnic experiences that you just won't receive here in Australia or in most of the Western world. So, um, and South America as well. Like, I'd love to go to South America, particularly oh, Pat- right. Patagonia. Like it's weird that, you know, it just happens to be there. <laughs> Patagonia, <laughs> Chile, Peru, Brazil. Uh, Brazil looks incredible, man. Like I would yeah. love to go to some of the big cities and, I don't know, you hear some pretty dodgy things about South America. Um, yep. Thinking oh, a bit, yeah. Thinking a bit Considering its history, maybe, yeah. You'd, you'd maybe want somebody to guide you around. Um, but, you know, so. I've, I've been to other parts of the world where they don't even really allow tourists. Like, you kind of have to go there and, and get a guide. Um, so I don't necessarily oppose that experience. Yeah, that's a bit of a summary as to like some places I'd love to to go and work. And I don't know, I'm kind of at the stage of my career now, mate, where if um, like I'm pretty flexible in terms of subject matter. Like if somebody wants to fly me to, I don't know, Chile to work on some documentary about the lithium mining there, then I'll do it. Sounds good. Like I don't necessarily need to go there to film mountain bikes is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, got you. Got you. Your your skills can be used in other collaborative efforts. Hundred percent, man. That's like I I kind of hinted at that like earlier in the conversation. Like I've got a production company that I've set up that's just dedicated to time lapsing and and aerial cinematography. And last year I was able to work on a commercial with a mining company in Western Australia and trying to crack into that industry a little bit more because we all know there's no shortage of money in mining. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not only that, like I find the industry fascinating. Like I, I, a big reason why I love using a camera is that it opens so many doors and gives me so many opportunities to go and experience like things like mining where like your average person has never been on a mine site. They don't know what the process is like, et cetera. Um, and honestly, mate, if I had just filmed bikes my entire life, then I wouldn't have had an opportunity like that. So pretty pretty happy to have such a broad range of experience i suppose what i'm saying that's really cool it's it, it's funny like you um i think that actually touches kind of on um oh where is it there's you know, kind of like another question in here that like pertains yeah. to a lot of us yeah, it <laughs> no it does oh i think like i mentioned like down the list a little bit um obviously you've been in the career you know you've been doing this for some time is this something that you're just going to continue on doing do you think there might come a day where you're like now i'm done with the camera or are you happily thriving like can you see yourself doing this for some time yeah i had a bit of a think about this one um 
This is more life. This is life questions, you know. Yeah, (laughs) this is a philosophical question, and um, the way that I see it, if I can meet my basic human needs, I'm physically capable of carrying a camera around and walking between A, B, and C. Uh, If I'm able to support a family, in yep, in the the occasion that I decide to have one. And I still have a good time juggling all of those aspects of my life, then I don't really see why I can't continue along the similar path to the one that I'm currently on. Like I've yep. had quite a good trajectory with my career so far. Um, I'd be quite happy to continue along a similar path. Yeah, you know? all right, as, long as, I'm, as long as I'm able to, and I, I, it's it's healthy and it's sustainable because I feel like it's it's the same as anything else, mate. If it's not if it's not doing your mental or physical health any benefit, then you should probably assess the um, positives or negatives surrounding that, you know, and Correct. maybe cut it out of your life. Correct. Well, it's f- quite funny you mentioned that. I released, uh, like, I've got my own YouTube aside from this. And, I, man, I just, I don't have any expectations of it. Like, obviously, everyone would love to have, like, you know, a couple million subs and have a career off making videos and all that type of thing, like, that, that idea and notion is a fantastic thing. That's just but, a byproduct of yeah, success. I, That's just a metric of success, yeah, basically. Yeah. I but I, I, I make the videos and I do what I do because I genuinely love I genuinely love creating. I genuinely love, you know, what media can do. But I put a piece of content at there. Um, it's kind of like a raw talk thing where I you know, everyone talks, there's a huge thing on, you know, social media, obviously about transparency around mental health and like job satisfaction and stuff like that, especially for millennials. And I put a piece out just talking about my story and how it took me quite some time to get out of the space that I was in and actually have the mental capacity to assess and look at what I was doing I mean, like, no, nah, I friggin' really hate this. I'm really bitter. I've become a bit of an asshole in areas of my life, and I need to make moves to get out of this joint. Like, I, I have to get out of this situation because if I keep staying just for a friggin' check, I just keep staying because it's an easy routine, this is going to plummet me into a bad place that I don't want to be in. And yeah. I was kind of already, I was kind of already heading in that direction. And what's happened since I've left that place, like emotionally, mentally, mentally for me, massive, like huge changes. Like I'm in a job where it's super flexible with my family. My boss is my boss at the moment. Is my yeah, best. well, it's funny you say that, mate, because I was thinking surely those positive impacts or benefits on yourself that would impact your family immensely. You know, like traditionally 100%. speaking. Yep. The man of the family is the breadwinner and the provider and meant to be headstrong, et cetera, for the family. And if you're in a better place mentally, you're going to be able to provide a hell of a lot better for your family. And that's arguably the most important role or thing that you can Freaking do, oath. right? Oath, bro. You, you're, so, you're so, so, so correct. And I can easily, like, that whole culmination of working 40 hours a week, running my own business 40 hours a week, and then, like, being a parent to two young children, having responsibilities as a husband and a father, being in a bitter place. Like, if anything was stressful outside of work because I was coming home internally dissatisfied, it 
made my mentality on negative things that happened outside of the workplace much easier for me to snap at. And when I started to realize that, even though it took as long as it did, what it, you know, we have our chump situations, like we mentioned earlier. Um, when I started to realize that and what I was dumping on my family, you know, we all have a child. I was like, I, I have to change it because if I stay on this road, it'll, it'll break the family apart. Yeah. You know, like it, it'll, it'll put crossroads between me and my wife. You know, my, my kids notice that I'm going through what I'm going through. So it was only, I'm so glad that because people don't get the opportunity to have that epiphany until like so much more damage is done. They, they stay in careers for so long and yeah, it's a, it's a really, I'm very happy that I'm in the, in that place now. And it's cool to see, you know, other people, you know, of a similar age, like, you know, yourself, you've got, you get this career and, you know, even you, like, you know, you mentioned, as long as I'm healthy, my, my mind is healthy, my body is healthy, and there's not negative effects from what I'm doing, of course, I'm going to keep continuing doing it. Because providing, you know, you're, you know, it's providing an income, you know, it's something that you're passionate about. Yeah, and fulfillment as well. Oh, like, right. that's, yeah. that's something that a lot of people don't experience from a career path. Yes, um, and very correct. I, you know, honestly, mate, like, um, the income is quite modest and I'm happy with yep. that because I don't, as I said, I don't need to provide for a family full yep. time. Yep. I don't have a mortgage I need to pay off, et cetera. And I have all my basic human needs met and more. So it's like, yep. I, what, what else do you need? Yeah. As I, I said to you, mate, I'm, I'm living the dream. It's, yeah. it's another day of living the dream. So off to Derby. How good. Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> Got the call yesterday. It's insane. It to, mate, it's we insane. need your details. We've got to get you on the flight. Let's bloody go. Pretty much, yeah. Frequent flyer number. Let's go. Um, it's it's crazy, like you, you mentioned about, you know, that direction. I was just I just had a quick glance at the questions. You want to make this docu documentary Australia doing it justice about the writers. Cause I, I said do you think Australia has well, – obviously, you've read the question. Do you think Australia has some of the top destinations of the world? But the second part to that question, have we seen the best of Aussie MTB yet? Or do you think there is more to come? Do you think we're going to get another Sam Hill? Like, what do you think is the future of mountain biking in Oz? Let's um, let's break that up into two questions, I reckon, because – Yeah, we could totally – This is This is the most wordy response that I've given – yeah. So, all right, we'll start with, do you think Australia has some of the top destinations in the, in the world to ride? Um, regarding top destinations for riding, um, I personally don't think Australia is, is one of the best yeah. places in the world. Like, we have good trails here. Don't get me wrong about that. But the trails abroad are definitely better. And I don't know whether, like, that's a consequence of the sport being so infant here in Australia or it's a consequence I, of yeah. bureaucracy or it's a consequence of isolation from the rest of the industry. Like, it's it's really hard to say what that's a consequence of. Yeah, it's, I think it's a culmination of, a, of almost all of those things. Like, you, you think about our highest <laughs> – 
our highest, our even our like our highest points and what's actually rideable. Yeah, highest peak. To, yeah. Yeah, like our highest peak. Two thousand two hundred meters, as opposed to what, like in France, I've been riding trails exactly. at that elevation, and that's exactly. there's still mountains that are taller around it. So and mountains and mountains, like literally thousands and thousands of kilometers of ranges which are rideable yeah yeah, yeah. no so it, it's it's really really hard because you quite you know i've had conversations with particular people where not biased to australia but it's like like a patriot you know it's like oh we got the best here and i'm like oh it's definitely a we? patriotic thing yeah. yeah it's like a it's like a patriotic um comment but do you think we've seen like the best of Aussie MTB, like riders, like what we can give to the industry. Like what, what, what is, what's your opinions on that? Uh, difficult question to answer. Hey, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've written quite a bit here, so let's, oh, I'm trying to be, I'm trying not to be too controversial or too like, I'm trying to be politically correct with what I'm going to say here as well because feel free to um, not be. Because I know I know you've got a business to protect, but <laughs> oh no, it's more like um, this, this is definitely my opinion more than anything else, and some of this is backed up with tangible examples, I guess. So yeah, I would say that right now there's a lot of pressure being applied to organizations like national parks and governments, local all the way through to federal um, from the indigenous population of Australia. Um, we're seeing hiking and biking trails that have been around for decades um, and not just like here in my local area, but places like Uluru and Mount Warning in NSW, Biwa up on the um, the Glasshouse Mountains there. There's speculation that hiking trail is going to be closed because Mount Biwa is an indigenous place of significance yeah. or something to that effect, you know. Um, and a lot of that is to satisfy spiritual connection with these places that are deemed to have cultural significance. Um, and it's hard for me to really delve into that further because I'm not yeah, a person fair. of Indigenous descent so I, and I haven't really had yep. the opportunity to have these conversations with the Indigenous population either. Like, honestly, they seem to have been... Like, if I want to give you actual real-world advice of why I'm saying this or a real-world example of why I'm saying this is because we are looking to have um, legal mountain bike facilities built here in my local area and the biggest backlash and hurdles that we have had to face are to do with cultural significance from the indigenous population. Um, and I'm not yep. pointing the finger. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I do think that better conversations need to be had because at all of the meetings that I've been at and all the people that I talk to, there has been a lack of indigenous representation. So it's one thing to say, hey, you can't build trails here because we have a spiritual connection with this mountain or we have a spiritual connection with this monolith or whatever. But it's another thing to actually have somebody there that is a representative that can answer questions and can have a civil conversation. But 
right now in Australia, and it's not just to do with building mountain bike trails. It's to do with a yeah. lot of things, a lot of developments, whether it be building a mine or building tourism infrastructure or building a multi-lane highway. Everything has to go through some bureaucratic process to do yeah. with cultural significance. Um, and I just think the conversations surrounding that need to be more in-depth um, and there needs to be greater representation from those people, if that if if they are the, the main people that are going to object to more trails being built here in Australia, because honestly, if I'm going to generalise, that is probably the biggest hurdle that we face in having more trails built here in Australia. Um, and I feel like better conversations need to be have about why yep. that's occurring, about the cultural significance of these places, and maybe even people like myself who can act as key stakeholders for the mountain bike community that have real world evidence about the impact of trails positive and negative and mountain biking and go and present a logical case to these people and say hey look can't we find some kind of agreement here yeah 100 percent. and it's i know that a- response got very political very quick but these are the type of hurdles that I'm experiencing here in my local area and I know that I'm not the only one experiencing this type of thing here in Australia because I talk to people that own trail building companies working on multinational, well, I should say multi-million dollar tenders to build trails around the country and it is typically the biggest hurdle that we face for building trails here in Australia. Oh, it, it, to be honest, it's like I've, I've, I've never heard that conversation. It's only something that I've recently touched on with a friend of mine in regards to, you know, everybody cops, you know, Queensland is like the nanny state, you know, yeah, greens are really white, you know, blacks are really light blues. And like, that. I think that joke is had in everybody's own state, but I've never actually heard that conversation before, but it, you know, it's. I'm not at all surprised either to hear that, considering the nature of things in the world recently. Just to well, put then it like if that, I want to actually give you a practical example of some of the best places to ride in Australia, and this yeah. is more or less my opinion um, than actual fact. You know, everybody's got their their taste, so to speak, when it comes to trails, but. Um, mm-hmm. Two of the best places I've ridden in Australia are Boomerang Farm on the Gold Coast and maybe Tasmania. And you see, the thing with those two facilities is they're on private land, so they are not susceptible to the regular bureaucracy that exists in national parks or exists on Crown land or exists in state forests. Yeah. That is why those facilities are miles ahead of everything else here in Australia is because they can basically do whatever the hell they want and build whatever the hell they want and have the best machine-built trails in Australia. And until a facility comes along that's a private facility that can basically do whatever they want, we're never going to have something like Whistler or Queenstown in Australia. Like, that's the closest we're going to get right now is, like, Medina and Boomerang Park. And honestly, mate, both of those places are unreal. They are pretty much world-class, like, 
bike park style trails, those places. Yeah, gotcha. But they're private land, so it's like they can do whatever they want. That's yeah. kind of where I'm coming at with that whole yeah, yeah, no, look, political totally. philosophy, ideology, rant, whatever you want to call it. If you want to label it a rant, then fair enough. Because I just I just think we could be doing so much more with the terrain that we have here in Australia that there are way too many hoops to jump through. Fair crack. Look, I don't think it's a rant at all. I don't like I don't see it as something that's politically incorrect. I think some people, when it comes to these subjects, are unable to get uh, unable to stop themselves from being so emotionally invested in it because let's say you know you've got someone someone that comes to the party and says I don't want you to build here because my community X I'm like all right fair enough let's talk about it let's try and have a middle ground like you, yeah, well, you why don't we something. talk about our community being the mountain yeah park exactly and all the positive benefits park. that having trails in trails, a particular area might trails. yield exactly like there's there's so many things that happen but I don't think you're presenting anything controversial by letting people know that that is a hurdle that trail builders and you know state governments and people face that's just a fact that's mm, just a pretty much you know what i mean it's not it's not politically controversial people may take it that way but that's that's a them that's a them problem you know what i, I mean so yeah and like, they can have a conversation with me about it if they want to yeah, they can right. send me a message it doesn't have yeah, to be hateful. Right. You can just say, look, hey, I don't agree with your point of view. And it's for these reasons here. Don't just say you don't agree with me. Like, I'm happy to have a conversation with you about it. Yeah. I just, I want to understand the other side. And I don't feel yeah. like that side's being communicated very well to, to us mountain bikers, basically. Or yeah, even well, people that go hiking or that, man, the list goes on. But you yeah, get the gist. You're just, pre- you're just presenting something that may hold back you know, exploring uh, where mountain biking can go in regards to quality of trails. But I think one thing you obviously made a massive point. You got me? Yeah, I got you, man. Yeah, so no, no, no. So I just had a phone ring. I just don't know. I think it's connected to my wife's phone as well. Um, Yeah, dude, that happens with my my missus' phone sometimes as well. Um. I think one thing we can take from that is, is it'll probably take someone that's got a bit of coin, you know, or, you know, some big, you know, who rides mountain bikes to like maybe, you know, buy a big ass stake of land. Yeah. You know, that is like we saw, buy a mountain range. <laughs> we, which is such a, like, when you think about that's it. That's why like, you got a place like Medina that exists, mate. Because they're yeah. like, you know what? We don't want to have to go through all your bullshit fucking hoops to build some of the best trails in the world. We're just going to go buy our own slice of mountain and we'll do it ourselves. It makes it makes so much sense, but the other like the other side, flip side of that is friggin' the dollar, like the almighty dollar. Like it's so funny how much of this conversation like can come back to just like a dollar, like a dollar based thing. Yeah. How, yeah expensive it actually is to get this stuff done the reason i mentioned before like i've only just kind of dabbled in this conversation around mtb is because um jubilee park in toowoomba just got awarded uh three mil to extend trails 
around there and surrounding regions with further money in the um, in the budget uh, later on down the track in 20 so 23 24 they're going to roll out that like another somewhat 80 k's of trails over the next five five years and all this infrastructure all the plans everything is like kind of it like you can all go there and view it at the moment but talking to the person that told me about it who he speaks with some of the council members and the local club that helps build this stuff some of the things they have to deal with just to like get it over the line logistically let alone the point that you raise it's it's crazy just to build something to ride bikes on yeah like well, and that's why you see so many people not going to name names not going to suggest that i'm one of these people but um that go out <laughs> there and just say you know what i got tools <laughs> yeah yeah what's a what's a I don't know, I just used to dig dig holes as a kid, right? Like, uh, hmm. yeah, dude, it's yeah, <laughs> it's what, yeah. And then there's other people that share opinions of those people, and that's a whole other facet of um, mountain biking. Um, wow, oh, that's such a good look. To be honest, it's a big subject what we just touched on, but it's a, it's all a part of this. Community. Yeah, man. Hopefully, okay. hopefully, it generates some conversation. I'm not. I'm not um I'm not expecting anybody to agree yeah. with me. I'm just speaking based off personal anecdotes and experience and conversations I have had with other people, professionals that work within this industry. So there's a common yeah. trend here. It's not like I'm just plucking some bullshit conspiracy no. out of my ass. No, you're not. Not at all. Like I said, man, what you've presented to me in my personal opinion is not you're just stating facts of the process. That's it. Like you're stating yep. facts of the process and the hurdles that people come across and people will take from it what they will. But I think that's what makes podcasting so beautiful because it allows people to conversate. Yeah, it generates a dialogue. It generates a dialogue and hopefully, hopefully off of this, someone else can come in and be like, hey, um, actually, I'd like to touch on that. This is the experience that I've had. Gives you some perspective, gives me some perspective perspective gives john smith some perspective maybe a council member sees it who's involved in this that and the other thing and you, you never know what can come of this stuff and that's kind of why i started um the podcast yes because i love to yarn i'm an extrovert i love mountain bikes but you never can measure the reach of real emphatic conversation and yeah, how the that impacts people yeah you like you, you can't you can't there's no measure on what your words and our actions in this call might mean to someone else. Yeah. Right? Like it's, uh, oh man, there's so many, there's so many questions that are just like spurring in my head. Now I'm going to be buzzing tonight when I start chopping this up, like going back over it and like, could you presented, you pre presented a few things to me and perspectives that like, in my creative efforts, in the, my thoughts around mountain biking that I haven't really thought about before. And it's super, like, it's super, super cool. And that was, it's like, people's like, people have asked me, are you just going to have riders on? Like, who are you going to have on? I was like, nah, like, I want this to be everybody that's involved in this community, this industry. You got to like, get I've some mechanics on the podcast, dude. Mechanics. Oh, got to do it. I got to do Race it. Race mechanics are. Probably 
They might not necessarily be the most intelligent people. Um, I'm, not throwing, I'm not throwing shade yeah. at mechanics yeah. or anything like that. Don't expect any, like, how to run a business insights or anything like that. But fucking hell, man, race mechanics are some of the funniest people on right. the circuit or in the industry, you know. Like, they – I don't know what it is about mechanics. They, they just – man, they're just hilarious. Like, basically, every interaction I've had with a top mechanic has just been hilarious. Like, they're just cracking jokes all day. Well, it's funny. Everything that I've consumed content-wise in regards to MTB stuff, anything that's involved, you actually very much get that vibe. Like they, they, the mechanics generally seem to be larrikins, not like never shorter one-liners, never yeah. really like you know they're an always you know an interesting character. Like they have their own their own vibe of of. The, they have their yeah, own vibe like, aside from the riders and the and the rest of the team because like, man, if it wasn't because I have vague understanding of a bike, you have a vague understanding of bike, what you can do mechanically, but the guys that can that do those those pro mechanics, nerds, man, those oh, proper bike time. nerds. Yes, there's it's nothing crazy. wrong with that at all. It's like, it's oh, pretty not cool. Not at all. Like I've had I've had guys and I'm starting to slowly understand more and more and I've had mechanics explain things to me and I'm just like it's it just sounds like a mass equation when they try and break down you know how mechan uh, how suspension works inside a dampener what the dampener does and that's a whole squirrel you could chase right there like yeah man I I leave that to the mechanics I'll just yeah I'll, <laughs> I'll figure out how to operate a camera and I'll let them deal with my bike you know yeah all right what do you what what is it that like obviously it's a santa cruz but what are you actually riding bro santa cruz nomad i'm still on 27 and a half inch wheels when i Ooh. started riding 26 yeah. inch was just that was the thing yeah none of these big wheels none of this frullet business with a 29 up front and a 27 in the rear or anything it's just Man, if I could, I'd still be on 26. I don't really care, you know. Like, I'm not I'm not the type of person who's falls for marketing bullshit. And I guess maybe because I've been exposed to it so much and I've worked to essentially yeah. project, project those marketing messages further and to make them more convincing to people it gives me an ability to kind of see through them and be like, you know what, that, that new product that you're launching and marketing is not going to really bring me any benefit as a rider. Like I could still be on 26 inch wheels and still be having a great time on a mountain bike. 100%. I don't. And there's obviously merit to particular technological advancements and stuff. And I don't want to sound like a fossil as in like, Oh, I'd rather just, have a traditional old school mountain bike or whatever because that's not the case that's a 2021 santa cruz nomad right there that's a bloody good bike like it's got all the bells and whistles you know so it's like but that's a tool for me like i i'm fortunate enough that i get to go and film mountain bikes and i need a decent bike to get around you know if i'm filming with somebody like bernard kerr and we're ripping down peel bike park in italy He's not going to wait. He doesn't want to wait around for me to ride some easier green trail that takes twice the amount of time as his black trail or do some stupid beeline or something. So it's like I need a decent bike to get around. Yeah, so as, much, as much as I love riding, it's important to me to have a good mountain bike 
um, that yes, of course I can throw anything at that bike and I know it's going to handle oh, it. Right. It's going to get me out of trouble. 100%. It's got enough suspension or whatever, and I can pedal it back up the hill. So it's like pretty much perfect all round bike for me. That's one question I want to ask. Um, it's like I, I love that you come from that perspective because I've got a friend of mine who runs a, a 26 24, like a real, real old, like yeah, a 15 year old downhill bike. And it's like Remy when Morton you look at it. Style. Oh, bro, when when he rides this thing, it literally sounds like someone's shaking a toolbox, but <laughs> shreds the living hell out of it. Like, yeah, it just I'll goes send you to show cut- people rely too much on their bike yes. or the latest tech yeah. or whatever, and they just yep. – it's passengers, mate. <laughs> the passenger. Do you – have you I, – I've pedaled my 27.5, and mum was a trail bike uphill, and I pedaled a 29er uphill. And I've got to say pedaling 29ers when you've got to climb to get to your destination is a lot more enjoyable than – oh, look, it's – actually, I won't put it like that. There's definitely – it definitely makes the job a little bit easier pedaling a 29er. When it comes to going downhill, I love my bike, you know, because I, I was a 27 – no, 27.5 front and rear. But there are times where I'd be – on a slog up a hill and I was just like, oh man, I'd love a little bit of that rollover right now. Do you get that with your bike at all? Is there ever times where you like, man, having the big wheels would be mint or are you like, are you sweet with it? No, honestly, I never think to myself, oh, I wish I had big wheels so I could pedal up this hill faster. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, mate, I got, <laughs> that's why I'm like, I could have 26 and I'd be fine because I only pedal up a hill so I can ride down. I don't ride down a hill so I can pedal back up. I don't care if it has less rolling resistance going up the hill or whatever. Sure, that's a perk. Yeah. It's nice or whatever. But for me, yeah. and I've ridden 29ers, I don't want to sound like that guy once again that's just like a fossil that's just like, oh, you're no, doing your I thing. don't. It's all good. I don't like the new tech. It's like I'm happy with what I'm on. And if yeah, I could I've... be, if they still had 26, I'd probably still run 26, honestly. I like to have a nice, playful, maneuverable bike like if – like my girlfriend gets pissed off about it all the time. We ride together quite a bit, and she's like, "Why do you? Why are you jumping around the trail all the time? About and stuff." <laughs> You're like, "That's how I ride my bike." Jumping around. So you should jump. Having around. having the smaller wheels and the smaller turning circle and stuff is better to have more maneuverability and pop around and stuff. Like, I don't like the larger size wheels of. 29 inch like i just simply don't enjoy that riding experience the whatever benefits that there are that are associated with it i i don't i personally don't benefit from that my riding style and the type of thing i type of trails i ride it's a marginal consequence i'm not racing either and this is another thing that actually this is a rant one thing that pisses me off about the mountain bike industry, and you can't just say this about mountain biking, it could be about golf, let's say, for example. People yeah. people rely way too much on having incredible gear or going out there and buying the yep. top-of-the-line suspension or that golf clubs. They'll go out and buy the top-of-the-line golf clubs, which are designed for professionals who are playing at the top of the sport, who are – People who are riding mountain bikes at the top of the sport. And it's ironic because you, you look at that bike and you probably think, oh, like he's basically got a top of the line mountain bike, but he's not, I'm not racing. I'm not a professional or whatever. But the point that I'm trying to make is that 
people rely upon that too much and they probably don't even need that bike. Like that bike for me is probably more of a bike than I need, but I'm giving it a pretty solid go when I go for yeah, a ride. Whereas a lot of people, they could probably get away with a lower spec mountain bike in, in reality. And they wouldn't even really notice the difference in having the higher spec or whatever. And it comes back around to that whole thing about just not falling for the bullshit marketing tactics because if you actually did a little bit of research, you'd probably just realize that a SRAM GX derailleur, SRAM GX Eagle or whatever, which is just the mid-range derailleur, is perfectly fine for just your average rider. Like you don't need to go out there and buy the carbon wireless one that costs a thousand dollars or whatever it's like just save a bit of money like prioritize your expenditure a little bit better and you maybe go get some coaching or something instead spend that extra 200 dollars on a coaching session maybe or pass it threadbow or like yes it's it look it's rant over rant no but look it can be substantiated i think it can be substantiated because I I saw a TikTok like the 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 things like you now it was like a left hand right hand thing. The lady had a bike in the background. I think she was a mountain bike coach, and it was just like spend ten thousand on a new bike crashes all the time. Eight hundred bucks, you know, and I think she gave like a whatever rate was eight hundred bucks for XXXX, and the coaching's too expensive. Yeah, it's like you know what I mean. I because. The bike that I'm going to, like, so let's perfect example, right? I know the type of stuff that I want to ride, so I'm going to make the Siskiyou is a sorry to interrupt, but the Siskiyou is a perfect example, and that is something I actually really admire Polygon for, is because and having to work directly with them, they know that their target audience and the market they're building those bikes for is not people that want to be a professional downhill World Cup racer. Correct. They are building bikes for the everyday consumer and they price them accordingly and that's why that bike is a wise purchase sure there may be limitations associated with it and i found it (laughs) average rider but the average rider is not going to find those limitations i don't think yes true well like man it so ties in perfectly with the next point i'm gonna make like for me i knew the next thing that i needed I'm because I'm 93 kilos. I'm just under six foot. I'm not a small guy. My skills expanded on the bike. I was putting it through some some grief, you know, hitting a fair fair bit of stuff at Boomers, getting into a little bit of downhill trails, and I was like, I'd upgraded the fork and brakes, and I had enough. I had plenty of suspension, but it was time to make that move into something slightly burlier. Obviously, yeah, I know what you mean. The, yeah, the 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 bike could. Oh, I didn't know I was going to snap it. I actually snapped it in a catch berm on a downhill trail. Like I didn't know if it had a micro fracture and then, or like what it was, but I was like, all right, sweet. I don't need a $10,000 bike, but I need something suited to what I want to do. And the, the SRAM transmission, that new thing, what close to 4k, bro, my bike that I'm moving into is more than enough for what I need. And it's costing me just under five. For the whole bike. For the whole bike. And it's a perfect example. And I don't even know if I'm going to reach that bike's capabilities with the time that I can give to my riding. But I know that I've got something that's safe, that's going to handle what I want to do, where I want to go, how I want to ride it. I've got, you know, the pedals, the suspension I need. Like, all, it, yeah, it's got some fancy little bits and pieces, but that's just because that's 
you know, that's what I want. Essentially, like, it's it's very hard for people to make realistic decisions because people look at marketing, they look at people sending, they look at the shiny yeah, bits Brandon and pieces. Seminar. He he uses that stem, so I'm gonna buy that one. <laughs> it's like, are you serious? But are you he actually gonna look? Are you actually gonna look at the full range of products that are presented to you and then make a calculated decision, or are you just gonna just pick whatever your favorite writer uses? Like, I don't know. People are easily fooled. Yeah, I guess. I I think so. Like, I'm really glad that I've when I got back into this, that I have had um, people around me. Sorry, man. I, I had a, I had a scratch and this scab is just like, Oh, you're all good. That happens to me. Riding uh, guys, I'm really glad that I had people around me that have gotten my head uh, or given me like their opinions. And I found that to be true for what I value for mountain biking as well. Like what you just shared, I think is very valid. And like, w- yes, it's a personal opinion, but you can't, like, I don't think anyone could watch that and listen to that and be like, that's not true because there is truth to it. That's like saying marketing doesn't work. You know, oh, that's- well, mate, people can, people can play devil's advocate for fucking everything. I do. Yeah, if- I do. Sometimes, honestly, I'm like, oh, but what if it's like, well, all right, yeah, fair enough, whatever. Well, we I- might have to agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro. But I, I like that. I think I think we'll we'll probably share more conversation on that in the future. Like I'm so happy about like my, my the, the bike that I'm, I'm going for is not even a big name, big name bike. I just like the color of it. Like Sweet. I like the shape of it. Like it, it looks sick. I'm putting a little bit of spank kit on it because someone's given me an opportunity to, you know, customize it a little bit and it's not overly breaking the budget because of finance options and stuff, but it's perfect for what I need. And I couldn't, I mean, if someone said, hey, here's a $15,000 bike, go ride this, of course I'm going to do it. Whether I can ride that bike to its potential, probably not. Like, yeah. <laughs> And that's the same no. scenario for, I'd say, 95% of people that ride mountain bikes. Yeah. Um, I have that appointment to get to. I, holy, yeah. I'm going to um, leave it there, my man, if that's cool with you. It's fun by me, man. No worries right. at all. I'm sure that we could have potentially continued on with this for like another hour, potentially multiple hours. Um, basically, I'd like to just extend a little um, offer to you, mate. If let's say maybe a year from now, podcast is still going strong, still recording, still editing, etc., still putting yep. out episodes. Maybe we can catch you up in about a year from now and um, see if anything's progressed. Maybe have a chat about some stupid marketing bullshit and set some things straight in the industry, hey? Bro, I think I would <laughs> trust you, man. I've got some aspirations for it and there's multiple other guests that have been uh, booked already and I'm loving what I'm doing, so I'll definitely take you up on that offer, bro. Yeah, man, it's been fun. Um, I just hope more than anything else that we've been able to provide the audience with some good yeah, insights. Like I've been a professional in the mountain bike industry for the best part of 15 years, um, like basically since I was a kid and like grown and matured with the industry, so to speak. And 
um, yeah, like uh, just try and provide the most candid insights possible into into mountain biking. I love it, bro. Guys, that was the fifth, did I say fifth? Fifth episode of the Fully Pin podcast. Ty Bowmaker, thank, bro, thank you so much for your time. Like, I honestly had a blast. You've been a dead set legend, man. I really That's all good, it. man. Pretty, pretty fortunate. I got a bit of um, time between film projects right now, so I'm stoked Absolutely we could make stoked. it work. And look forward to catching up with you again soon, mate. Sounds good, bro. Let's 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 keep in contact, and we'll we'll chat again soon. Yeah, boy. All right. Well, good luck with the appointment. Speak soon. <laughs> and um, yo, everybody, cheers for tuning into the Fully Pin Podcast. Appreciate let's it. Go. Appreciate you um, having go. a listen. And um, tune in for episode six. My, see, this guy knows. He knows what's going on, 100%. All right, thank you, brother. We'll talk soon. Cheers. See you soon, mate. Have a good night, We'll do. Bye. The Fully Panned Podcast. <laughs>